So if you guys have any questions whatsoever about keto or intermittent fasting, whether you're starting keto as a new person or just need to debug your program, or you have a question about a product, call one of our keto consultants. They'll be able to help you. Call 540-299-1557. That's 540-299-1557. Welcome to the Dr. Berg Healthy Keto and Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Now your host, the man taking your health to a whole new level, Dr. Eric Berg. Hey everyone, I'm really excited to bring you uh, an amazing interview that um, Ivor um, Cummins, okay, so if you haven't heard of this guy, you have to check him out because He's like the, um, the science of um, keto and low carb and um, cholesterol. He's done his research. I just want to tell a quick story. I, um, I was searching around because I, I pretty much read everything out there related to keto. And I was looking at Kindle books and I, I noticed this book. Um, it was called Eat Rich, Live Long, Mastering the Low Carb Keto Spectrum. And I said, I've never seen that before. I just noticed a hot, over 100 reviews. 97% uh, five, five star. So I'm like, what? I've never seen any, that high percentage. Like there's, it's amazing. So um, I had to get it, had to read it. I was thoroughly impressed. And so, um, and then I started watching your videos. So um, I'm really honored to have you, uh, to interview you because I'm, uh, I, I really, we're on the same wavelength. Um, <clears throat> uh, so Mr. Cummings is a um, uh, engineer. And uh, what I like about that is that you think in logics, um, you look at cause and effect. Um, honestly, I believe that medicine really does not, it's not very scientific. Com uh, conventional medicine is not very logical. It's mainstream is just like completely illogical. So unfortunately, you know, other people from the outside have to come in to try to figure this out and dissect it. And you looked at this uh, from an engineer standpoint, cause and effect to make it really simple for people to understand. So I really appreciate that. Hey, thanks a lot, Eric. And I'm delighted to be, uh, to be in an interview with you. So it's an honor for me also, for sure. <laughs> awesome. Well, we're just going to dive right in. I have some questions. Um, the, the first question I have is, um, from your experience, from your research, um, what is the single common denominator with most health problems, chronic health problems nowadays that you, you're seeing? Like, what's the common denominator um, if you had to like pick one thing? Yeah, well, Eric, it's hard to pick one thing because I find that multifactorial is often used as an excuse. Like in heart disease, it's multifactor, there's 300 factors. And that kind of gets people off the hook with, be, with not clarifying what you need to do. But um, in fairness, this health problem is multi-factor too. But if you're going to pick a few of the top items or Pareto items, we like to call them. So the Pareto principle is the top 20% of causes that lead to 80% of your problem. So I think the triumvirate for myself and Dr. Jeff Gerber, my co-author, is processed food and bringing the, as it brings in refined carbohydrates, sugars, and vegetable oils, so industrial seed oils. So if you're allowed to dodge the question, you'd say those three together are the nexus that's driving a lot of modern chronic disease. If you had to pick, I'd say sugars, refined carbs as being a, edging ahead of the vegetable oils, but it's a very hard call because there's great science on both. 
as to how they can drive dysfunction, uh, obesity and liver problems and insulin resistance over time. Uh, but I think the key message is for people, if you eliminate sugars, refined carbs and the industrial seed oils, the vegetable oils, if you just did that alone, you'd be way ahead of the posse. Oh, yeah. So, so then what, um, so for those viewers that are um, under, trying, to, trying to grasp their wits around this, um, what do those consuming vegetable oils and sugars do to the body? Like what, what mm. do they influence? What, what's the thing that it does to the body? Right. Well, the vegetable oils, there's many, many hypotheses, and to a greater or lesser extent, some of them are proven out. So one thing about the vegetable oils is their uh, proneness to oxidation in the body. So they're unstable polyunsaturates. Uh, I think Professor Volokh put it very well. We need some of these polyunsaturated vegetable oils, and the percentage you need in your diet is very low because they act as signaling molecules and cell membrane fluidity molecules. So they're kind of technical components that you need, but you should not be using them as fuel because when you take in excessive amounts, you have excessive polyunsaturates in the body, a proneness to oxidation and damage and oxidative stress, and then inflammatory cascades, which uh, Dr. Kate in Deep Nutrition went through this in great detail and all of the evidence behind it. So there's the whole instability of these molecules when taken to excess, certainly when you cook them and heat them, even more so. Um, and then there's also emerging theories that they drive obesity uh, through enhancing insulin sensitivity of your adipocytes or your fat cells and enabling them to enlarge and gather more fat than otherwise would occur. So I think there's some great animal model experiments on vegetable oils that people may not be aware of. Um, in one uh, area, they did rat experiments where they gave high percentages of vegetable oils, like soybean oil and, and linoleic acid is another big component. Uh, and they found that when you fed them quite a lot of vegetable oil in their diet, uh, if you subjected them to alcohol, they got massive liver damage. But in the same experiments, when they had very low polyunsaturates and high saturated animal fat, like beef tallow, they gave the same large amount of alcohol, but had almost no liver damage. Wow. That's, just, that's an interesting one. So one of those papers was entitled that vegetable oils are essentially required for liver damage from alcohol. Not just that they make it worse, but you almost need to have them in the diet. And they went through all the mechanisms. And then you've got obesity. So there's many uh, recent experiments, quite recent on mouse models, where they fed 8 to 10% of these vegetable oils versus 1%, which is what humans traditionally had. And they saw hugely increased liver uh, fat, obesity, uh, and other issues in the mice with the 8 to 10%. And they raised the issue that we've been told to eat vegetable oils, we're eating eight to 10%. We tested this in an animal model and we see it causes obesity and liver, fatty liver, the very things that humans are experiencing in the last 40 years as we eat more vegetable oils. Wow. So one could go on, but uh, there's just so much evidence and we have it in the book, especially in the appendix. We don't want to go too heavy in the main body of the book. So we have an appendix on vegetable oils going through this and much, much more. And wow. human, human trials. The uh, Sydney Heart trial, uh, the data was essentially carefully put aside 30 years ago, and it was uh, 
basically rediscovered by a team in the UK in the British Medical Association. And they published that the people on the higher vegetable oil had 20 to 30% more cardiovascular death and all-cause mortality. And wow. in the, yeah, the Veterans Administration trial, they saw a slight improvement in cardiovascular events on the men with the high vegetable oil, but no improvement in all-cause mortality. And quietly a year later, they published a paper explaining that the reason there was no improvement in all-cause, even though the heart events reduced a little, was there was an increase in cancer and cancer deaths, mm. which was significant. So there's all of these human trials too, but as you well know, the ones that go against the dogma, that the polys are good and the sat is bad, they quietly disappear. <laughs> and that's the way the bias works. Wow, amazing. Um, and then as far as the, um, and you, you talked extensively, extensively about this, the topic between some peop people consuming high cholesterol foods and heart disease. Can you touch on that a little bit? Because it's been ingrained in almost uh, brainwashed into our minds that, oh yeah, cholesterol, oh my gosh, you're eating all those eggs, it's gonna cause a heart attack. Well, yeah, and funnily enough, Eric, I'm sure you've seen them recent reports coming out showing that eggs actually cause no harm for heart disease, even in diabetics. And the whole, the whole literature is a bit of a mess. But very simply, uh, many decades ago, Ansel Keys decided, he was a researcher, that saturated fat drove up cholesterol in the blood, and the cholesterol in the blood was a causal driving factor for heart disease. Now, that's all kind of a half-truth and, and, and not correct. But uh, it, even Ansel, 30 years ago or 40 years ago, he realized quite quickly that dietary cholesterol didn't change your blood cholesterol. So even that guy simply uh, wiped dietary cholesterol intake off, off his table. Wow. Uh, and yet you're right, the myth still is here. I think the US is one of the last countries in the civilized world to remove cholesterol uh, as a cause for concern in the diet uh, just a year or two ago. The rest of the world knew this for decades. So the dietary cholesterol is, is meaningless because if you eat less cholesterol, your liver will make more. Cholesterol is a crucial component, as you know. And if you eat more cholesterol, you will either pass it into bile salts or whatever, or, and your liver will make less. So it makes no difference. So the, the remaining question is, of course, the dietary fat. Is that a problem? <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah. And that brings up the uh, next question relating to you have this whole group of, of plant-based people and then you have the meat eaters. Um, and there's, you know, several so-called credible doctors who are saying, no, it's the fat. It's the fat that's causing the insulin resistance. It's not the sugar. Um, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's, that's a tricky one because this is a complex topic. Um, it is relatively easy for people to twist data. So there's a hint of truth in that, that if you eat uh, large amounts of fat, and they've done this in human experiments, especially in people who have some insulin resistance or, or who are overweight, and they hit them with a large amount of fat, often with a little bit of sugar alongside, uh, you do see a spike in insulin resistance. But there are mechanisms by which if you take a large bolus of fat, uh, your body has to become insulin resistant at a cellular level, right? To keep sugar out as a fuel source and to use the fat for fuel. So there's an element of truth in it, but 
the key thing is that chronically over time, it's the refined carbs and sugars which really cause the insulin spikes that with time lead to insulin resistance and through their action in the liver. And one of the best ways to show the falsehood in, in what you've just mentioned about those doctors is Professor Volokh and Professor Finney have done many human trials. And they do know that if you eat a lot of fat with a lot of refined carbohydrate, the carbohydrate must be metabolized first. The fat does not get metabolized properly and it tends to go into storage or raise energy levels of fats in the blood. However, when they switch people who are challenged, like diabetic people or obese people, and they switch them to a very low carb with a very high fat diet, then they get dramatic improvement in their body markers, blood markers over the following weeks and months. And their blood fat levels actually drop right down by eating a very high fat diet. But the key is they're not eating sugars and refined carbs. They're switching to a fat metabolism. Absolutely. Fat Absolutely. I mean, if you, I think people, they're not going to read the studies themselves, but you, you're aware of the, the rodent, the mice studies. They're, their high fat diet is not really standardized. It's, it's oh, uh, high sugar and high fat. Well, and they're calling it high fat. So right there, you're gonna, you know, alter the data. There, that's a massive kind of scam. I, I, it's a strong word to use, but to be quite honest, Eric, it's an incredible scam. I have gone through endless mouse and rat studies, and you're absolutely right. The high fat diets, they're called HFD. They got an acronym, HFD, we, we put in HFD, and oh look, they got fat. Oh look, they got insulin resistant. But you're absolutely right, they're full of dextrose and uh, vegetable oils, or an 8% soybean oil, a mixture of sugar and vegetable oils, along with a load of lard. An absolute toxic bomb. Uh, yeah. But then they blame it all on the fat. Right. And they tell the people, well, now you shouldn't eat eggs. It's insane, it's insane. Totally uh, insane. and. Um... And then the other thing is that uh, you'll, you'll see this. I don't know who's behind it, but they're pushing this uh, thing where, oh, well, yeah, keto is good for weight loss, um, but we don't know the long-term effects. It's probably dangerous long-term. I'm like, wait, what, why do you say that? Where does that come from? Like, mm. um, they, they try to, you know, they're trying different angles. Of course, you know, you have something that's so powerful, but we have thousands of people with amazing results, um, but then you have, you're going to have the opposing side. You're going to have, um, you know, mainstream. You're going to put these little doubts in people, and so they're a little scared. Well, I want to do it long term. I'm like, what are you going to go back to the carbs, like sugars? It, yeah. yeah, it's it's crazy. Um, one way they threw doubt on keto as well was the epileptic kids over the past decades. They were on ketogenic diets. And they showed some evidence of some issues over time. But I went through those studies and I challenged people to give me clean studies and they're not out there. They have a few studies and the kids had lots of polys because, of course, these poor guys believe the sat fat is bad. So they put a lot of poly in there as their fat, which we've mm -hmm. already said is not a good idea. They've also got medications concurrent. They're taking multiple medications. So you look at these kids that maybe don't do so great over time, but it's a really bad keto diet and they're on multiple meds and they already have medical issues by definition because they had epilepsy and other somewhat comorbidities. So using that as evidence is, is farcical, but, but they do, you're right, they do use it. Uh, wow. the, long, the long term thing, 
you see, the onus of proof is on them uh, to say there's a long-term problem because it's a perfectly natural diet proven evolutionarily and in many, many populations, very healthy populations with no chronic disease traditionally. So the default is it's fine, prove it's not. Uh, but you're right, they bring this thing up, they bring up doubt. Uh, but their path that they said high carb, low fat, has been proven to fail in the population. <laughs> yeah, so, you've done that experiment. Yeah, and it, it wasn't just a fail. I mean, it's, it's a catastrophic, explosive fail. Yeah. I and mean, we got 52% of the adult American population last year in a paper are acknowledged to be pre-diabetic or diabetic. Now, they're all essentially diabetic. Wow. You know, yeah. They wow. all have hyperinsulinemia. They have glucose metabolism issues, hypertension, which goes with it, all the classic stuff. So the majority of adult Americans are now essentially, essentially diabetic, more yeah. if you measured with insulin. Well, and we tell them to eat more carbohydrates, even though by definition, they're carbohydrate intolerant because they're diabetic. It's, it's the most... Obvious thing to me, I, I just like sometimes I'm like, is it am I on a, a planet, an alien planet here? Can't people see it? Um, I want to bring up this point, uh, Dr. Kraft. You were able to interview him before he mm. passed away. This guy, he wrote, I mean, he did the research for I don't know how many years. Can you can you just tell us uh, in a thumbnail sketch about Dr. Kraft and who he was and what he discovered or observed? Right, Eric, yeah. So Dr. Kraft, we discovered in 2014, I think, from Professor Grant Schofield in uh, New Zealand. And when I looked him up, I thought, wow, I got to talk to this guy because what he found resonated with me so powerful from my five years of research. Uh, and basically, he was a medical captain in World War II, would you believe? Uh, actually, stationed in Panama. He came back, he was a, a top pathologist and he became a doctor of nuclear medicine, uh, which there were only a few in the States in the 50s and 60s, trained to use radionucleotides and radioactive substances in the body. So a very special guy. And pathologists are amazing generally, I find, because they really root cause and they do the analysis and they, they go deep. So long story short, he found he had access to the new insulin tests. He researched diabetes massively. He discovered that diabetes type 2 is a disease of high insulin and that this was known from the 60s with the work of Yalow and Bernstein. And he realized that the whole diabetes world was treating it as a disease of high glucose. But that was only a symptom. So what he did was he eventually went on to test 15,000 patients with a five-hour glucose insulin assay where he fed them glucose and he measured their glucose and insulin over five hours, around seven measurements. And he realized after a thousand patients that there were five special patterns that people had. Even though he had thousand people, there were only five patterns of insulin response you could have. And he realized through his research, only one of those patterns was healthy, non-diabetic. And all the other ones were a form of diabetes. He called it diabetes in situ. And basically, he realized that we are not diagnosing the vast majority of diabetics because the glucose measures they use to, to diagnose, for the time the glucose has gone up, you're way down your diabetes journey. It's the rising insulin after eating carbohydrate that shows you when you're first diabetic. And he realized essentially that 90% of the people who would pass a fasting glucose test 
could fail his insulin test. Wow. And, yeah. And even 50% of his people who would pass a, a glucose tolerance test could fail his insulin test. So he realized there was an enormous amount of diabetes out there and his test was the one to use. Um, yeah, he was a great, we interviewed him um, a couple of years ago. He died at 95 last year. Um, but um, an amazing man, a Christian, nine children, devout, hugely wanting to get the message out, but he was, he was rebuffed. No one wanted to hear it. The American Diabetes Association, no one wants to hear it. I mean, just the fact that, um, you know, doctors rarely ever check insulin, if ever. Mm. Um, and to know that you can have diabetes with normal blood sugars, which is so bizarre. It's high insulin. That's the chain, the first chain of event that occurs. Bam. High insulin. Yeah, that's it. And, and after time, some people then, of course, their insulin will flag as their pancreas becomes problematic. So they won't show up at high insulin because they're further down their journey. But the beauty is by looking at insulin, you'll always catch people at the earliest stage who are heading into trouble. Because, wow. yeah. And he, his other statement, which was a little strong, was those with cardiovascular disease not identified with diabetes are simply undiagnosed. Mm -hmm. So he was essentially saying that most cardiovascular disease is diabetic type dysfunction. It's just we're not diagnosing it. Um, now, I think myself and Dr. Gerber, there are many, many other drivers, but I think it's in fairness to Dr. Kraft, the lion's share of, of cardiovascular disease problems, particularly severe ones, are tied to this physiology. And uh, the Euroaspire study last year in Europe, or two years ago, they essentially found out that just measuring glucose, 75% of heart disease victims from ages 18 to 80 across 25 countries, 75% had diabetic abnormality, which is incredible, three quarters, and they didn't measure insulin. So a huge amount of cardiovascular disease is diabetes, not all that, of it. Was that in the US or worldwide? Or? That was across 25 European countries That's and ages yeah, and they picked uh, cardiovascular disease patients from ages 18 to 80. So in engineering world, we call that a really good poll. You're pulling all the ages randomly, all the countries, and you're getting a big picture view. And they wanted to see how much glucose metabolism issues like diabetes is in heart disease victims. And they found out they got a shock. I think they got a shock. God. I didn't. <laughs> right. Yeah. You, you got um, so what's your, what's your kind of guess at how many people have higher levels of insulin? One of those patterns in the U.S. Do you think it's because he, he, he found this in the 70s, didn't he? He did. And it's very important. He was taking in many patients who had suspected diabetes oh. but were not failing the tests, in fairness. Uh, he was taking walk-in patients. So he didn't have a random sample. So his group proved his method. They were a great group to prove his methodology and his test, but they didn't represent the states. So myself and Dr. Gerber, um, if 52% are published as being pre-diabetic or diabetic, and that's two years ago, um, and they didn't really look too closely at insulin or anything, we reckon, and many other doctors in this low-carb field in our network, estimate 60 to 
of adult Americans are, have not got normal um, U-insulinemia or good healthy insulin response. So you, maybe up to two thirds would not pass our criteria. And I guess we see that when we walk out in the street, right? You right. Know, it, you know, it's not a, right. a shock. And the other countries are all catching up. You know, Mexico, massive issue. Brazil, enormous issue, particularly in the population centers. Uh, China has gone from 1% in a decade, I think, to 12% full-blown. And they wow. have papers talking about a catastrophe coming. So this, this is blossoming all over the world. Wow. It's, yeah. Um, when I tell clients, they want to know, um, they want to get the insulin test to either the doctor doesn't want to do it or they don't even, they've never even heard of it. I mean, I don't understand why this test isn't more available. Yeah, I, I think it's because it's, well, Kraft found he was swimming upstream and all the guys on his side, the, uh, the ear, nose, and throat doctors actually got involved because some of those guys discovered that 98% of their Meniere's disease and uh, tinnitus or tinnitus patients, 98% plus were failing the craft test. So they discovered all this Meniere's imbalance and tinnitus is massively to do with glucose metabolism issues. But all of those guys were pushing and having conferences but the established orthodox world doesn't really want to look at insulin. No. Insulin is problematic. If you start looking at insulin, you find your way towards low carb. You find your way towards keto. If you look at insulin too much, you begin to say, well, hold on a minute. What about cholesterol then? And cholesterol is where they're all comfortable focusing, even though insulin is vastly more important. So I don't think it's a conspiracy. I just think all of the industrial, pharmaceutical, food industry, and even research and medical research are all kind of gently always pushing towards the bad cholesterol and the high carb guidelines. And this stuff all is uncomfortable to them. And I think we're seeing it unfolding now. It, they, they, just, they have a great inability to um, be wrong and they have to be right. They really have to be right about this. Like, they just Because it would just be devastating if they were wrong. So it's have to maintain this illogical rightness, even though it's completely insane. Yeah, and they'll, I re exactly, Eric, and I reckon they'll, they'll change slowly. They can change quickly for the exact reason you said, but we'll see the guidelines changing. We'll see more insulin focus, but it'll have to be slow to protect essentially all the reputations. So everyone for the last 30 years in the orthodoxy has been you know, going from one hymn sheet and if suddenly over a year or two, we say, hold on a minute, we're completely wrong to look at cholesterol. We can talk about that in the moment, the, the blood cholesterol. Uh, we should have been looking at insulin. We we're completely wrong about high carb. It's crazy. We should have been looking at just vegetable carb and fibrous real food carb and higher healthy fats. If all that changed within a year or two, I mean, everyone has egg in their face. I mean, it's so bad. Like, I wouldn't like to be them. <laughs> Either would I. In fact, um, you know, I do a lot of um, educational videos, and one of the where I get a lot of my material is I basically get it from mainstream medical sites, healthcare sites, because they basically you just look at their data and you could you know for a fact it's it's 180 degrees backwards. I mean, like you just do the opposite, you'll be very successful. <laughs> they always have it wrong. It's just very ironic. So. It's incredible. Uh, it came up the other day, actually, that 
I mentioned to someone, I've said this before, the only thing they were really correct on, on the big series of things like cholesterol, fat, carb, you know, salt, all of these big things they talk about, the only thing they were really right about was smoking. Right. Uh, they got yeah, that right. They got that right. But even then, it took them 30 or 40 years after the data was in to get it right. So they were slowed down. Yeah. But all the other ones, I mean... It, 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 it couldn't happen by chance that you'd be wrong on six, seven things in a row. Like it's six coin tosses heads. And I think that's where it just suited everyone to go with the initial hypothesis and just be an echo chamber and stick with it. And they got it all wrong. Well, even you being an engineer, um, I wanted to be an engineer, but I was terrible at math and you have to know math. Uh, so you being an engineer, you, you wouldn't survive if you didn't, Get it right. I mean, you you couldn't you couldn't function. Um, you have to be able to find the truth, the cause and effect. I mean, like, so it, they got away with it for, for this long. It's just it's insane. Yeah, well, engineering, you're you're absolutely hit the nail on the head. You you to succeed in the engineering business, you must get root cause, and you cannot just do band aids or mitigating fixes like you know the drugs that poke your blood pressure. That will never, your competitor will kill you. Yeah. So everyone is forced to, to be violently going after the root cause, find out the mechanisms, find out what's causing it, and eliminate the cause. There's no point putting a Band-Aid on it or sticking a drug on it. It's, it's not good enough to survive. But in the medical business, ironically, it's kind of the opposite because the business booms if you don't prevent and if you have to do procedures and you have to do stents and you have to do bypasses and it's kind of driven the opposite way. It's not anyone's fault in a way. It's just the way it is. The business booms if you steer clear a root cause and, and fix patch up after the event. Mostly. As long as the medication lasts for 24 hours, we're good. We can just <laughs> take the next pill. Yeah. Um, what's your thought about um, the calcium scores um, with the, vascular system and, and what's what, where's that come from do you think yeah well that that's a really important one and one of my big goals and dr gerber as well and we feature it in the book and explain it is the calcium scan as the ultimate test for if you have significant arterial disease so just briefly for people a calcium scan is a high-speed x-ray it sees the calcium uh, in your coronary arteries and the calcium is brought in by your body to repair, essentially shore up or repair inflamed arteries that are in danger of, of tearing and causing a clot and a heart attack. So it's a natural evolutionary process, a response to injury, where basically the exact same mechanisms that create bone are used in the artery to strengthen areas. That's it. The beauty is the CAC scan, the CT scan of the heart, is a five-minute scan low radiation nowadays, like a mammogram really, $100. And in a moment, you can see the calcium. Um, when you see the amount of calcium, you know the amount of disease you've had going on for years. And your risk with a zero score compared to a very high score that a few percent of middle-aged people will have, you can have a 30 plus times higher risk of a cardiac event or death with a high score. So if you have a high blood pressure, you might be two or three times more likely. Or if you have a really high cholesterol or some blood sugar, two times, three times more likely in the next 10 years. If you have a high calcium score, you can be 30 times more likely. So hopefully people realize that gives you the answer. So we feel very strongly a middle-aged person 
you know, the calcium scan will immediately tell you your risk level and if you really got to work hard. But if you do work hard and you go low carb, you get sun exposure, low stress, sleep, magnesium, and all, all the things that, that you'd be very well aware of, keto, fasting, all the good things done together. And they're not hard and you'll feel better and you'll lose weight and you'll feel fantastic. All of that together can actually stop the calcification increasing. So even a high-scoring person like my supporter, David Bobbitt, an Irish entrepreneur, uh, he had a score of 1,000. But he has practically not risen over the last six years with exactly the things we know about. And if he didn't do those things, he would have kept rising at 20 or 30% a year uh, until the event happened. So the beauty is even a high score, you can take action. Uh, and that's, that's the fantastic thing. So I guess there's a movie, The Widowmaker, if people- I was gonna ask you about that. Yeah. Yeah, well, my, my supporter, David Bobbitt, and the Irish Heart Disease Awareness Charity is set up. They funded a big budget movie, The Widowmaker. And if you Google my name and Widowmaker, you'll pretty quickly hit a version you can watch straight away. And it tells a fascinating story of the calcium scan and why for 30 years it didn't get adopted, a bit like insulin. And it's narrated by Gillian Anderson and Larry King is in it and all the professors of imaging. So it's a, it's a great watch. Wow. <laughs> that is, um, I, I recently saw the magic pill, but I'm going to, I want to put, I'll put a link down below for, uh, for that movie. And I do want to mention to everyone, um, I, I rarely recommend books. Uh, you, you guys need to get Eat Rich, Live Long, Mastering the Low Carb Keto Spectrum for Weight Loss and Longevity. I put a link down below. Check this out because it's just filled with um, incredible data. Uh, all the secrets are right there. And uh, um, I was impressed. Um, what's your thoughts on intermittent fasting? Ah, intermittent uh Five-second reaction, I love it, <laughs> and I'm guessing you do too. Yeah. Uh, I, I see fasting as essentially a performance drug, and I know that sounds funny, but I've said it before and people resonated. Uh, when I go on stage speaking at a big event or anything big coming up or I need to be at my best, I almost never eat for 24 hours before that event. I go into it 24, 28 hours. And to be quite honest, I'd... I'd actually feel not so happy uh, if I didn't do that because the edge it gives, the mental acuity, the, the feeling of, of energy and vibrancy, it's huge. So that, that's just one advantage. Um, fasting basically uh, for longish periods brings down your insulin, brings down all your hormone levels, allows your body to normalize, especially for people who have high insulin or diabetic dysfunction. Fasting is very reparative or, or very helpful. And over longer periods, will bring in autophagy. So it'll kind of use up old, damaged, less healthy uh, cells and recycle them, break them up, reuse them for new proteins. A beautiful process of, of self-healing, basically. Um, and fasting, it, it just, you can't really do it uh, when you're on a high-carb food pyramid diet. Because when you're a carb burner and you go without food, you know, you feel bad. But the beauty is when you become fat adapted and you've been on a low carb or keto diet for a while and all the enzymes have been made to, to smoothly burn your body fat fluidly, then you can fast with impunity. And I, I, 
I just love it. <laughs> I'll be oh, honest, yeah. Eric. I love it. I, I love the feeling in the afternoon when I haven't eaten since the night before. And I know the meal I get at 6 p.m. is going to be really good, ancestral, healthy fats, you know, some vegetables, low carb. And it's going to be delicious. And it's going to be even more delicious because I've been fasting. Uh, in, in Ireland, we used to say hunger is a good sauce. But if you're fat adapted, the hunger is very manageable. You feel great. But the little bit of hunger, though, does make the meal when you, when you have it special. And you relish it. So I'm kind of rambling, but I, I just love fasting. <laughs> oh, I'm all over it myself. I, I, cognitive function, uh, mm. elevation of mood. Um, I mean, it's like, and then you start eating and I was like, no, I don't feel as good now. I, you know, I can go longer. So yeah, I, um, I'm all over it. I'm intermittent fasting and keto and that's awesome. Um, did you have uh, anything else that you wanted to uh, talk about um, in your recent studies, things that you're, you're researching or uh, any interesting things that you're involved with? Well, yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm going to be in Prague uh, actually next week at a conference, Food News, and that's going to be fun in Czechoslovakia. And it's a sign that things are moving because it's essentially a low-carb biased conference. They're not calling out low-carb too much. They're trying to keep it as in healthy food and question processed food. Uh, then in the Public Health Collaboration, PHC in the UK and London, uh, a few days later. Uh, and then there's loads of events in uh, the US this year. I'm going to Keto Fest in North Carolina. Uh, I think that's July and Ancestral Health and Low Carb USA in San Diego and KetoCon in Texas. So I think it's great that really the whole low carb keto thing is blossoming and the forces that tried to push against it that you mentioned earlier, they're beginning to have an issue, I think. So it's great times. But uh, I will just mention one other paper I got the other day, 2014, and I was amazed I didn't have it already. And actually, I'll send it on to you if you don't have it. And it was the metabolic syndrome. It's much bigger than you think by a team of, of doctors and profs. And what they did was they knew that the metabolic syndrome, which is huge in the world, was kind of defined by insulin, even though they don't even measure insulin in it. They measure HDL and glucose. So they said, well, let's go and look at all the metabolic syndrome papers and pull out the ones where they measured insulin. Because like you said, Eric, they don't measure insulin much. So they had 600, they got down to 60 or 70 where they had insulin measurements and they were addressing all different diseases, cardiovascular disease, cancer, you know, even think even rheumatoid arthritis, all these inflammatory diseases. And what they found out, insulin stood up as being higher for the people with the problems in I think around 58 out of 61 papers. In other words, hyperinsulinemia, which is metabolic syndrome, which is type 2 diabetes syndrome, is all kind of the one thing. You measure it with high insulin, and high insulin showed up in nearly every paper as being highly linked to all these different diseases. And they basically said, this is huge, and they're correct. But like you say, Eric, very few doctors realize it. This is the big thing in the next 10 years is to put hyperinsulinemia at the center of chronic disease and get everyone looking at it and the likes of the calcium scan for middle-aged people to find out where they are and then take action. Yeah. They're the two big things. 
I, I, I'm just like, when they go over uh, uh, metabolic syndrome, you, there's this, oh, there's associated uh, high insulin. I'm like, no, <laughs> it's causing it. Why can't you see that? It's just, it's very ironic and it's just, um, it's frustrating, especially since people are going there, going to them for advice. Wow. Mm. Oh yeah, I mm. want to get that paper for sure. I'll ping it on to you straight away. <laughs> awesome. Well, I want to really thank you for your time and your, what you're doing, telling the story of, you know, giving people the truth about their health. Um, I also want to recommend, everyone needs to get the book. I'm going to put a link down below. Watch Widowmaker. You got to check that out. Um, I haven't watched the whole thing. I, I watched the preview. I'm going to, is it on Netflix too or is it uh, um, Amazon? Yeah, the full movie is, it might be still on Netflix, but I think the short version is, is accessible. I'll give you a link for that. And okay. uh, of course, the full version is on a couple of different formats, I think. But it's kind of been out a couple of years and it didn't get really widely circulated. There was a very ironic twist where it was put in for the Oscars a few years ago. And there was a mistake made. It was put in for main film instead of main documentary. And it could have won but unfortunately it was put in the wrong category. Anyway, so <laughs> that's an aside. But yeah, and the book, uh, we go into CAC in detail in the book and cholesterol and answers other questions about why people believe cholesterol is important and why it has some importance, but, but not what people think. And uh, I think we're on iTunes, we're on Amazon, we're in Costco, we're in Barnes & Noble. It's, it's available all over, I think. <laughs> awesome. Wow. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate this. Thank you so much, Eric. And, and thanks for uh, you having me on. I'm delighted. Pleasure. Absolutely. Great. And then, of course, you have the, I guess, here, the only thing I know about uh, Ireland is the, the butter, Kerrygold. Ah, yeah, we take that for granted. But the other thing in Ireland is the nature of Ireland with its enormous amount of, of grass fields. Yeah. Um, it's economically viable and default to just have cattle uh, on the grass. So not because we're amazing green people, we just happen to have grass fed, fed as a default. Oh, wow. And we have the Kerrygold grass fed butter as a default. It's, it's all just default. <sighs> now, I'm sure in the coming years, corporates and, 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 and farming corporations will try and turn it into something even more profitable. But for the moment, we have amazing food. And interestingly, Eric, you'll love this, it's 10, Say it's ten dollars, let's say, for a two pounds of lean premium mint or ground beef. So say say it's ten dollars for two pounds. Right beside that, there's the high fat generic, same cattle, same cows, but it's high fat. It's not healthy, it's not lean, and that's four dollars for two pounds. So it's less than half the cost for the very product that I will have to get crazy it's, it's reversed and eggs are quite cheap because of the feeling that eggs are not so healthy it keeps the price down oh my God. it's so it's, basically you're getting all this high fat high quality product for a really good deal essentially yeah and if the world turns it'll get a little more expensive but in fairness that's that's a small price to pay to to curb the epidemics but but yeah fantastic <laughs> that's interesting wow yeah I'll, I'll pay more for more fat any day Absolutely. Nutrient density and healthy fats. <laughs> exactly. Hey guys, I just want to let you know I have my new keto course 
just came out. It's a mini course. It covers all the basics and how to do it correctly. You can get through this in probably 20 minutes at the very most. So if you're interested, click the link below and get signed up now.